My name is Dana. We have been in this series, The Theology and Practice of the Holy Spirit, for a couple weeks now. We spent actually a few months before in the book of Acts, chapters one through four. We're sitting in the same couple chapters, but really honing in on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, which one of the theologians I read, uh, Alistair Heron, he said, um, I think I have it here. He said, this is the most elusive and difficult of all themes in Christian theology. So we are starting the year with a bang. Um, Hopefully you brought your thinking caps on, Um, but it actually, uh, I read a statistic this week that 59% of Christians in the West are unaware that the Holy Spirit is a person or a being that can be known. 59% of Christians, and I'm sure some of us in that room would go, yeah, that's me. This is an elusive uh, topic, and this is an elusive person, um, one that we feel like sometimes unsure about. And so our goal in all of this is that we would grow in our knowledge and our understanding of this remarkable kind of second person in the Trinity. So we are going to focus on this afternoon a very important kind of moment in the early church. It's in Acts 1. But before we do, um, we want to step back a little bit um, to the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 3. This is right at the end of Luke's gospel, and you'll see why it's very important. We're going to go to verse 21. We have it on the screen as well. <coughs> Luke writes this. Now, remember, Luke is the same writer as the book of Acts, so we've, we're, we're sitting with the same author. He says, when all the people were being baptized, Luke 3, 21, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, as he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now skip down to the beginning after the genealogy that follows. This is the first verse of chapter four. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit into the desert, okay? That's where he spends 40 days of fasting and prayer. He's tempted by the enemy. And then skip down to verse 14 of the same chapter. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. All right, now, Acts 1, all right? So just flip a couple uh, pages over. And this is the beginning of the book of Acts. We're gonna pick up in verse four. You guys still with me? All right, you're tracking, okay. So now this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He has risen from the dead. He is spending 40 days imparting the last of his kind of knowledge and wisdom to them. And he says on one occasion, verse four, when Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when they met together, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here's what I want us to see. There are two, uh, what do I have? Here they are. There are two distinctive aspects or facets to the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see this in the life of Jesus and we see this in the book of Acts. Now, language is a little challenging when it comes to this topic, so stick with me. But first, we see that there is an indwelling we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus and the redemption we have through his resurrection, okay? This, is, this happens at salvation. When we believe in Jesus, the Spirit indwells in us. I am a child of God. The Spirit is with me. He lives in me. The Spirit is my counselor. This is all biblical language. My revealer, my helper, in 1 John, he says it like this. I love this. 1 John 4, by this we know that we abide in him, this is in Jesus, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. The next verse, Titus 3, 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the Holy Spirit isn't the weird uncle God that kind of sits in the corner and we're not really sure what to do with him. He is right now, if you are a believer in Jesus, he is your ever present constant companion and friend. He is the one who called you before you even knew Jesus. And he is the one that is always with you in every season. That is not Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit. He is the one that transforms us. He is the one, John writes, that assures us of our salvation. And it is because of his presence in our life, his indwelling, to use that language, that we begin to see the fruits of the Spirit. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things are the working of the Holy Spirit in us. What's interesting is that the word most often used in the New Testament when referring to the Holy Spirit, this indwelling idea, is the word pleres. I actually like hit the thing on Google that tells you how to pronounce it. Play race, okay? Uh, I don't speak Greek, so I had to do that in case you were wondering. You guys are a serious bunch tonight. I thought I'd at least get a chuckle from the fact that I'm attempting to pronounce a Greek word. Okay, there you go, thank you. Uh, But that word here, okay, it means to be full, to be complete, lacking nothing. That is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we believe in Jesus. Now, the second aspect or facet, okay, to the work of the Holy Spirit in us is that around his power. Specifically, as it is miraculously made manifest through us. All right? Let's call this an infilling or an impartation. So we have indwelling, 
And then we have an infilling or impartation of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that the Greek word for power in both of these accounts, but throughout the Old and New Testament is often the word dunamai or dunamis. You might've heard this before. Um, What's interesting is that in the Greek interlinary Bible, because I don't speak Greek, I have this, but I brought it for you guys. Look at the word that can be translated under both of those words. So Jesus in the ability of the Holy Spirit, or this is in the new, you shall be obtaining the ability of the Holy Spirit. So power and ability are seemingly, we use the word power, but they are seemingly interchangeable when it comes to this idea. And for me, as I was studying and praying, I found this so helpful in shifting my own head when it comes to this conversation around the Holy Spirit. So we recognize that there are, you can take that off. I know it's kind of hard, harsh behind me. Okay, so we recognize that there are two truths at work here, but both are of the same spirit. He who was with us is still with us. And yet he presents himself, he offers himself, he shows up in two distinct ways, okay? So the Holy Spirit who is with us, who is daily in our lives, affecting change and transformation and holiness, also at specific times, in specific ways, imparts a unique ability or a power to human beings. Does that, sound, does that make sense? I know it sounds a little intense. Um, let me say that there are kind of a quick disclaimer to this conversation. There are lots of different views on how exactly this happens. One of the beauties of the scripture that is eternally frustrating is the mysterious aspects that we can't quite nail down. We haven't been able to for 2000 years and I don't think we ever will. And that is part of the reality of why it's called faith right? We have to believe sometimes in things we can't fully rationalize or understand. But the church at large throughout the world has has accepted that there is this impartation portion. And that's what we're going to discuss tonight, okay? That's what we're going to lean into. And one last thing, if you are newer to the faith or newer to this conversation, and I can assume by kind of it's a little quiet in the room that a lot of us are, that's totally okay. If some of this feels weird or strange, if (laughs) the only analogy in my head is like, if you feel like you're a muggle that's just wandered onto Diagon Alley, you're just suddenly in a place and you're like, I don't know how I got here and I don't know what we're talking about. That is totally okay. Remember, we serve a God who is outside time and space. We serve a God who is magical and powerful and beyond our comprehension. And there will be moments in our faith where we go, I'm uncomfortable. I don't fully understand it. God is okay with that. We are okay with that. And so this is the reason why we are having this conversation on a Sunday and we are processing it together. Sound good? Okay, so let's talk about power, all right? Jesus says, you shall receive power, you shall receive ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And for clarity's sake, I'm going to break it down into kind of three parts or three questions for us to explore. So firstly, what is this power? Secondly, when does it seem to happen? And thirdly, why does it happen? Okay, pretty simple. All right, what is this power? 
Quite simply put, this power, this ability is a supernatural and miraculous manifestation of God's power through people in our time and space, okay? Supernatural, miraculous, something that happens by God's power through people in time and space. You with me? Okay. Now, in this particular story, Act 1, Jesus is referring to a moment that happens in the next chapter. So let's read it quickly. This is the beginning of chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Okay, this is this group of disciples, uh, and they would soon to be apostles, all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like that of a blowing blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is supernatural, right? This is not of human conjuring. This is not uh, based on any kind of natural ability or practice. This is an entirely miraculous moment. However, what I want us to notice, friends, is that while this is miraculous, this is not new to the story of God. This is not a new power. This is a power that has been from the beginning of time. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. He breathed breath into our lungs. He animated our physical bodies. This is the same power that we see countless times throughout the narrative of scripture. It's there when Moses performs miracles in the courts of Pharaoh and Pharaoh literally says, is there anyone else who has this spirit upon him? It's there when the prophets receive word from God and they can stand up in the midst of the people of Israel or in the midst of the Babylonians and prophesy and speak the words of God to people. It's there in the wisdom of Solomon and it's there in the very acts of Jesus himself. Everything miraculous that Jesus did, all of his teaching, all of his knowledge, all of his signs and wonders were not a product, friends, of his own divine nature. What does Luke say? Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in the ability, not of himself, in the ability of the Holy Spirit. One of the uh, writers I was reading, he says, the divine second person, I actually don't have this up there, of the Godhead is the sole effective agent working through the human nature of Jesus. Which is why Jesus then says, all of this you will do and more. Because he's doing it in his human nature. So when Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we see that the, the demonized are set free. We see that the sick are healed. We see that the lepers are cleansed, that the paralyzed can walk, that the good news is, is heard and received, that disciples who are called come. All of that is the work of the Holy Spirit. You with me? Everything I have done is through the Spirit. So too, Jesus says, will you.
What we see after this moment in Acts, the story we just read, is that this group of men and women who had followed Jesus for three years, who could not even stand together when he is crucified, right? They all scatter. They're terrified. Peter denies him. Peter, who was like, never. He's like, oh, you know. I mean, I don't want to be discourteous to Peter. He's an amazing man. But you know what I'm saying? These people were terrified. And what we see after this moment in the book of Acts is that they are standing up in boldness, in authority, and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Something happened That wasn't the case before. We see Peter and John in the very next chapter walking into the temple, healing people. And the very same skeptical rulers, Pharisees, Sadducees are standing there and they go, why are you surprised? As if we've done anything of our own power. No, no. This is the power of God made manifest through us. Now, when this power and ability presents itself, often in the scriptures, we talk about the gifts. So if you've heard that phrase before, that's what this is talking about. We're not gonna unpack those tonight, but I wanted to mention it. Um, And I actually have a a chart for you. I copied this, um, but I had to retype it because Ezreal said white is not a good background. So here we go. Okay, these are the four main passages in the New Testament that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Um, we're going to do, if you haven't saved the date on, I think it's February 24th. We are doing a Saturday training specifically focused on some of this stuff. Look at that slide ready. Wow. Impressive. Um, so we're going to talk about those gifts. There are 29, uh, different ones meant or 29 mentioned about 20 in total, but what I want you to see, okay is when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just tongues. It's not just prophecy. Look at some of those. Service, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, acts of mercy. What we see is that all of these things are ways in which, not always, but you know what I'm saying? Like there are moments where we are empowered by the Spirit to do miraculous acts of mercy. What empowers someone like Mother Teresa to spend decades of her life with lepers? Power of the Holy Spirit. That is not a natural thing. That is not a human thing. No one wants to do that in their humanness, but the power of the Holy Spirit comes and she says, me, I will go. Uh, Another example, I'm trying to kind of, you know, uh, ground it for us. Sue and I had a moment, um, we've shared this in our table community, but we had a moment gosh, a couple months ago, we were sitting at breakfast and our waiter, we, I just, it was like this moment where Stu was like, I feel like we need to pray for him. And this is not my default. I'm an introvert. I do not, I don't enjoy talking to anybody, you know, like genuinely I'm talkative, but it's a, it's a farce. Uh, anyways. And Stu's like, I think we need to, I don't know what, but I think God has something for him. And so we sit we're having breakfast, you know, coffee's coming back, whatever. And we just take a moment. We're like, okay, we need to pray. We need to pray. And we're praying and we're waiting. And very, at the very end, we kind of pluck up our courage and we're like, hey, <laughs> we're followers of Jesus. And we feel like he wants to speak to you today. Would you mind if we pray for you? We ended up praying for him, having a beautiful kind of moment, 
God really gave us some very specific things. It was so beautiful, but I can tell you this, that was nowhere near in my comfort zone or my natural ability. That was not us going like, wouldn't it be cool if we just awkwardly asked this stranger if we could pray for him? Now that's a small moment, but you hear what I'm saying? It's not Mother Teresa, okay? But it is a small moment where Stu and I went, we can choose in this moment to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be made manifest in us. Spirit, will you do that? Okay, next question for us. When does it seem to happen? Simon Ponsonby, whose book a bunch of the elders and leaders have been reading on the Holy Spirit, he says, there is absolutely no conformity to a pattern when it comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. So pretty short point, we'll move on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, In the New Testament alone, okay, we see some people are saved and start speaking in tongues right away. We see some people are filled with the Holy Spirit but never speak in tongues. We see some people that have visions or dreams, things that we would think of as an impartation of the Holy Spirit and then become Christians. So there is no sense of like, this is how it happens. God makes his power apparent when he chooses and we cannot control it and we cannot manipulate it. I was thinking as I was preparing this week of two kind of examples. The one is a righteous, amazing man in our community who during the uh, act exploration heard about speaking in tongues, crazy idea. And one day in his bedroom, just on his own, praying, Lord, if, if this is something real, well, m- maybe, maybe, maybe you could give that gift to me. And he said, all of a sudden, he just started speaking in a different language. And it was completely supernatural and it was completely out of his control. And it was amazing. Then the other example that came to mind was my granddad who never served Jesus uh, in his life and was an alcoholic and not, not the kindest or the nicest then. And he had had multiple pancreas attacks and the doctor said, if you have another one, he turned 90 on Saturday, but if you have another one, you're gonna die. And this, I think I can say ungodly man woke up in the middle of the night having a pancreas attack and he knew this is it, I'm gonna die. And he cried out to Jesus, cried out in the middle of the night, if you save me, if you heal me, I'll serve you woke up the next morning, went to the doctor. The doctors took three, two or three sets of scans of his kidney and liver and pancreas and was like, I don't know what happened, but you, your organs are that of a 20-year-old man. There is not a drop or ounce of, I don't know the language for what it looks like when it's been abused by alcohol for years, but there was not nothing. He just turned 90. He's been serving Jesus from that day. I was two or three when that happened. So I'm 19 now. So like, (laughs) you laugh at that? Really? That's the funniest thing? Jeez Louise. But he's 90 and he's been serving God for 33 years. And this was a man who for no earthly reason should God have necessarily gone on you I will heal and redeem your body. But the Holy Spirit in his kindness said, I hear that prayer. Okay. You see what I'm saying? There is no rhyme or reason. And yet when he comes, we know it's him and it is always beautiful. 
All right, what is clear from scripture through the words of Jesus and the writings of the New Testament is that as believers, as you and I, as followers of Jesus, while there is no kind of pattern or rhyme and reason, we are invited and we are maybe even expected to ask for him to come. We are expected or invited to desire him, to wait on him, to to ask for those abilities or those gifts. I've got a few scriptures. There are many in the New Testament, but here are a couple. Ephesians 5, this is the moment where he says, don't be drunk on, on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Ask to be filled. Don't you think that's an interesting comparison that Paul uses? I'm not gonna talk about it, but... Don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Second Timothy, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Rekindle it, allow it to come to life again. First Thessalonians, do not quench the Spirit, which means, friends, we can. We can stop the Spirit from moving. And then First Corinthians, earnestly desire the greater gifts. The writers of the New Testament are ongoing exhorting believers to this infilling of the Spirit, which means that while we can't make it happen, we are not passive in this process. We can't just kind of sit, sorry, let me take a sip, and go, well, if he wants to do something, he can, but I'm just gonna kind of keep doing what I'm doing and what I'm comfortable with. No, the Spirit invites us to seek Him. The Spirit invites us to ask, to listen, to pray, to fast. You know what struck me this week? Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, spent 40 days fasting and praying on His own and only after does it say Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, 40 days, prayer, fasting, seeking, seeking God. And then it says, Jesus, in the power of the Spirit. Even the story we just read, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. They waited for 10 days. We just did one lap of 24 hours of prayer. Imagine 10 of those. And by day nine, you're like, do you think he meant like a different Jerusalem? Or like, what, what are we missing here? They waited, they prayed, they waited some more, they prayed, they read scriptures, and then all of a sudden, the spirit, like the sound of rushing wind comes down, and I can guarantee you it was not what they were expecting. Now, we cannot conjure this up, right? We get that. This is the work of the Lord. Often in scripture, and I'm reading a book on kind of 2,000 years of the works of the Holy Spirit. It starts with the Desert Fathers and goes all the way through. And these commentators and historians talking about the moves of the Spirit, they say this, okay? Oftentimes, there are common characteristics to when the Spirit comes in power. So we can't control it. We can't manipulate it. We can't make it happen. But oftentimes even with my grandfather, there are these things that seem to kind of initiate it in a way. I have them there, I think. Prayer, holiness or consecration, and a willingness to relinquish control. And throughout the narrative of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and then 2,000 years of church history, often, not all the time, but we will see this. We will see men and women who have been on their knees sometimes for decades crying out, 
God, won't you come and save my nation? Lord, won't you come? I mean, I think of, uh, is it John Wimber who you talked about and the, the liberation of, of slavery in the, in the UK? Wilberforce, that's his name, thank you. Um, decades, crying out, praying. We see this, this intention towards holiness and consecration. We wanna be set apart, we wanna be ready. The desert fathers left and mothers left Rome where the church had been established because they felt like the church of God had been corrupted by the Roman empire. And so they said, no more, no more. And they literally, some of them lived in caves but they wanted to spend their time in prayer. They wanted to be consecrated. They wanted to be holy men and women. And there are account after account of people coming to the fronts of their caves. I don't know, like what's the, op- the opening of the cave and being prayed for and being healed. Signs, wonders, miracles. And then finally, a willingness to relinquish control. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus says the spirit is gonna come on you, the disciples go, yeah, yeah, so is that, when you're gonna restore the kingdom? What are they trying to do? They're trying to control. Jesus, is that when you're gonna do what we, like what we signed up for? Is that what it's gonna look like? And Jesus goes, no, no, it's not for you to know. But when the spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Friends, when we see someone who is sick and we don't wanna pray for them because we don't know that they'll be healed, that's control. When I'm sitting in a restaurant and I think, I don't know if I want to share Jesus with this person because maybe they'll think I'm weird. That's control. I want to control what God can do or will do or might do in my midst. And I think although we are desperately seeking prayer and we are desperately seeking holiness, we have to learn how to relinquish control. Because as we read, we can actually quench the work of the Spirit. We can stop him from moving. I don't know who it was years ago who said the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not gonna kind of, well, I'm just gonna do what I, no, he, he wants to work through us. He is our helper. He's saying, I wanna empower you to continue the work of Jesus. Will you let me do it through you? What's that phrase? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. If you don't pray for anyone to be healed, they're probably not getting healed. And so it doesn't, while it doesn't demean that we, we demand it of him, friends, I think that there is a deep desire in the heart of God for us to be willing, be willing to be in prayer, to be holy and to let go of control. All right, last point. Why does this power happen? Jesus in John 14 quite simply and beautifully says that the Holy Spirit comes so that he can direct us back to God himself. Direct us to Jesus. This is the beginning and the end of all of it. Everything that happens in between is directing us towards Jesus. There is no power, friends, that points to anything else His presence, his miraculous works are a witness to the resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That has been the case from Genesis 1 and that will be the case throughout all of history. It is to point to God, his glory, his power, his person. And if we miss that, we miss all of it. There's a moment, um, I have the scripture, but let me just summarize it. In 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't want to come in my own wisdom and my own uh, kind of great preaching. I came to you, you can throw it up there. 
I didn't preach anything but Jesus and him crucified. My speech and my preaching were not with pervasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul came in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, not so that he would be glorified, No, no, he says that if I'd come in wisdom, you would have been like, wow, that guy's really smart. But he didn't want you to believe because Paul was smart. He wanted you to believe because Jesus was powerful and he was working in this world and this time. And so rather than just using words, God invites us into something we can actually experience. Simon Ponsby, in that book we've uh, been reading, he says, I intentionally use the word, or there it is, experience, you can put it up, Because a non-experial religion is suspect for it fails to deal with the totality of our beings. We are embodied people and God says, I want to work in all of you, not just in your mind, not just in your heart, but in your very body, in your being. Do you ever notice that Luke's language, it says, this is all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do and teach. He didn't just come with words. He came in power. Jesus allowed us to experience, even in just small ways, something of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And he sends to us that same spirit, that same power. And he says, you and I can be my witnesses in all the world, showing them that the kingdom of God has come. And he invites us, friends, to pray for healing. And he invites us, friends, to preach boldly, to witness miracles, to discern spirits, to have words of wisdom, to serve the poor, to perform great acts of mercy. You and I are empowered to the work of Jesus, to partner with him in redeeming a world that has been ravaged by sin and Satan and bringing the kingdom of heaven into the present. That's why the spirit comes. So we are not only indwelt, as we talk about in the, in, in the beginning, we'd not only experience the intimacy and communion with God, we are also infilled and empowered so that the manifest power of God might be put on display in our midst. Paul is very clear in that passage that the Gentiles were brought to faith, yes, through hearing, and, and, and through seeing and experiencing the Spirit's power. This is a quote from Simon Ponsonby again. He says, sadly, most evangelism, at least in the West, while trusting in the power of the Spirit to convict and save, knows little of the power of the Spirit to affect signs and wonders evidenced in the New Testament. I think that there is a, an urgency, an urgent invitation to you and I to have faith for more than what we have immediately seen. The Holy Spirit is here. He's with us. He's in us. Are we willing to allow him to empower us to more? We need to be challenged out of our passivity, out of our control. 
One last story and then I'll close. Alan Scott, uh, who is pastor in the vineyard, him and his wife now lead Dwelling Place in Anaheim. But I remember listening to him once speak about the vineyard is, is, has done a lot of amazing stuff and they've seen God move in amazing ways. And he said, I was kind of felt like one of the only vineyard pastors who like believed in miracles, but never really saw them. And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't have said that, but that was kind of like, I believe that God heals, but I'm never really seeing it. And he said, the shift for their community was they started doing, which sounds crazy. They started literally going and setting up in the middle of the town in Northern Ireland. Sorry, yes. In the middle of like the town center. And they just had a sign like, would you like prayer? Would you like to be healed? So they weren't seeing anything in the church, not much. And then they went and they started asking people who didn't know Jesus if they would like to be healed. And he said, it was unbelievable how many people started getting healed. Because healing is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. It is a witness to the fact that God's kingdom is here and he is at at work and he wants to redeem and restore and be at work in us. And I don't know about you, but I'm saying, Jesus, I believe that there is more. Won't you open my eyes? Won't you open my hands? Won't you allow my mind and my heart and my soul and my body to be a willing recipient of the spirit that is already in me? Can we close our eyes for a second? This is, um, this is Billy Graham. And he wrote this towards the end of his life. He said, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not at all what they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. There's this desperate need of the notion and the lost, oh, sorry, the desperate need of the nation and the lost today is that women and men who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before we come to the table, let's just take a minute. There are lots of thoughts and feelings and I think wrestles within us when we talk about something like that. That's okay. But I think the words of Billy Graham ring true. Everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. Holy Spirit, you are here, you are with us. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Costa Mesa podcast. To find more information about our community, feel free to visit our website, www.genesiscostamesa.com or find us on social media at Genesis Costa Mesa.